Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggle is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, strugglesnuggle32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes. Now let's get on with the show. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The podcast is about to begin. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to part two of episode 82 of the Graveyard Grumbler podcast. I am your host, Tina Romero Jr., a.k.a. the Graveyard Grumbler, the Graveyard Grumbler. I think that's the first time I ever fucked up my own intro. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. For those of you who are joining me for the first time, please tune into Amanda Knox part one. This is part two, and I am picking up right where I left off. So let's go ahead and get going. So just to top back, we're still gathering evidence on seeing who or what or why Amanda Knox allegedly murdered her roommate, Ms. Ms. Kircher. So let's go ahead and get into it now. I mean, Amanda has been arrested. They are trying to go through everything to find out how guilty she actually is and how much involvement Amanda Knox actually had. So we are getting to the trial of Amanda Knox. In 2009, Knox and Solicito pleaded not guilty at a corte de acid on charges of murder, sexual assault, carrying a knife, which, by the way, Guidi had not been charged with, simulating a burglary and theft of 300 euros, two credit cards, and two mobile phones. So what it seems that is that the law enforcement, Italy's law enforcement did not really do that great of a job picking up their evidence they didn't really have anybody to blame so they said hey why don't we just blame amanda knox since she was the one who made the phone call she was there in the house she went back out of the house why not right i mean at least that's what i'm getting from it you know i could be completely wrong like i usually am but eh, it just seems weird that they they had guidi there but no real charges have been put against i mean he was charged for murder but now they're looking at amanda knox as an accomplice it just doesn't make sense to me. So there were there was no charge in relation to Kircher's missing keys to the entry door and her bedroom door, although Guidi's trial judgment said that he had not stolen anything. There was a separate but concurrent trial of Knox with the same jury as her murder trial in which she was accused of falsely denouncing her employer for the murder. Knox's police interrogation was deemed improper and ruled inadmissible for the murder trial, but was heard in her nominally separate trial for false denunciation so in the murder trial they weren't allowed to use anything that was that was deemed indismissible for the fact that they realized yo what they should have done was everything that they didn't do they should have done complete opposite but of course being law enforcement most of most of the time i'm not saying this goes for everything but i'm saying for most of the time they feel that they can do whatever the fuck they want right right but you know in in certain cases it's going to come back to them and in this case it did However, Amanda Knox was still being tried as a murder. Although Guid's trial stated that he was he was victim of murder, but again, now Knox's and Solicito, her boyfriend, 
are being tried as co-conspirators. They, 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 that was his accomplice for the murder of Kircher. Huh. But what doesn't understand is that the same jury that was, that was trying her on the murder trial was also trying her on the false accusations of her employer. Knox's police interrogation was deemed improper and ruled inadmissible for the murder trial, but was heard in her nominally separate trial for false denunciation. So everything that, that the cops did was ruled inadmissible. So they weren't able to use it for the murder trial, but they used all of that shit that was, that, that was deemed inadmissible for the trial for bad-mouthing her employer. Remember, Amanda Knox said that it was her employer who was there at, at the scene of the crime, although all of his, because he was a bartender, or he was a bar owner, although all of his customers for that night were able to give them a positive alibi, saying, no, he was here serving his drinks. If he wasn't here, who else would be here? Boy, I tell you. According to the prosecution, Knox, Knox's first call of November 2nd to Kircher's English phone was to ascertain if Kircher's phone had been found, and Solicito had tried to break in the bedroom door because after he and Knox locked it behind them, they realized they had left something that might incriminate them. Wow. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense, but at the same time, it doesn't make any sense at all. Why would anybody, why, why would anybody lock in? So what this, so what is this, what this is saying is that Knox's first call was to the English phone of Kircher to check if the phone had been found. And since the phone just rang and rang and rang, they realized nothing had been found. But after they allegedly murdered Kircher in her bedroom, they walked out and locked the door, but then they realized they left something in there. So they tried to break back in because whatever, what, what, whatever they allegedly left might incriminate them. That, that's, that's kind of far-fetched. I mean, it's not, it's not completely ridiculous and out of, it, it's not, it's not, 100% you know unbelievable but at the same time it's just kind of hard for me to to believe Knox has called her mother in Seattle a quarter of an hour before the discovery of the body was said by prosecutors to show Knox was acting as if something serious might have happened before the point in time when an innocent person would have such concern you know that was one of my big things on on the whole phone call to her mother in Seattle why would she call her mother in Seattle first before calling the cops? I understand that a lot of times people panic and they don't know what to do. And so they decide that what I, I need professional advice from someone who is going to be able to help me. So why not call my mom? In I mean, I, I don't I can't speak for everyone else, you know, but I would think that one of the first things they would do would be to call law enforcement if there's a dead body or suspicion of a dead body or suspicion, something suspicion that happened to my roommate. I would think that that would have been the first phone call other than to, to my parents or to my mom, I should say in this, in this case, I'm not Amanda Knox. I don't know how she handles pressure. I don't know what was going through her mind at the time. I just know that it just made it look real suspicious that she made a phone call to her mom before notifying law enforcement. I mean, it, it, and the, the statements, I mean, not the same, but the reports make a good point. 
if somebody was innocent, they would have been a, they would have made a phone call to law enforcement before. You know, I, I I believe that halfway and halfway I don't. There's a lot of times, especially people being so young, they don't know what to do. They literally freeze out of curiosity, not curiosity, but out of fear. You know, it's it's the whole fight, the flight or fight thing. And if you don't, if you don't know which one you're going to do, one of the main things, especially being so young, I mean, this, this gal was in her early twenties. I mean, she's still a kid. It, again, I, 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 I can see both sides of the coin. I really can. I, I understand here and I understand there. However, it just seems a little suspicious, you know, that she, that Knox made the phone call to her mom before making it to law enforcement. It, it's just weird that her mom had to tell her to make the phone call. But then again, I understand the other side, fear, confusion, and just the unknown makes it to where your brain freezes up and you don't, you really honestly don't know what to do. A prosecution witness, homeless man Antonio Curatolo said Knox and Solicito were in a nearby square on the right on the night of the murder. Prosecutors advanced a single piece of forensic evidence linking Solicitos to Kircher's bedroom where the murder had taken place. Fragments of his DNA were on Kircher's bra clasp. You know, it depends on how much was the DNA. I mean, okay, these kids are young. They all share, Amanda Knox lives in a home, in a, in a flat with, with a couple of other women. Women do laundry together. Women, you know, a lot of times, hey, can I throw this in there with you? Or things get mixed up. It, it's inevitable things are, are going to get mixed mixed up. You know, being at home, you just throw your bra everywhere as a woman. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, at least that's what happens from my experience. You know, I, I've, I've grown up in a house of, I've grown up around women my, my entire life. And being married for, for 21 years, my wife throws her bra here and there. And there's times where, you know, I, I mean, it, it, uh, I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I can understand if there was a bra on the floor somewhere by the bedroom in the bathroom and Solicitos picks it up by the clasp and says, babe, is this yours? And Amanda Knox might have said, Oh no, that's, that's Kircher. That's my roommate's bra. Oh shit. I'm my bad. And it was, it was put down, especially if everyone's sharing the bathroom. If people are sharing the bathroom, bras are left over the bathroom, hung over the shower rod, the, the towel rack, it, the bras are just left everywhere. It's just a convenient place to hang them. So his DNA being on a bra clasp, knowing that he's dating a, a girl who lives with other women, it's not unrealistic or far-fetched that his DNA will be on Kircher's bra. And he says here that the murder had where the murder had taken place, fragments of Solicito's DNA was on Kircher's bra strap. And I mean, don't get me wrong, that does that that is suspicious, that is confusing, and that is kind of suspect where why was it on there? But then again, if you see a bra on the floor and you think it's your it's your girlfriend's, you know, in this case, it's, it, he's talking about his girlfriend. You're gonna pick it up, not by the boob cups, but by the by the clasp, and say, "Babe, is this yours?" No, that's not mine. Oh shit, my bad. Julia bon, Bonjoriono, leading leading Solicitos defense, questioned how Solicitos DNA could have gotten on the small metal clasp of the bra, but not on the fabric of the bra strap from which it was torn. Quote saying. How can you touch the hook without touching the cloth? End quote. Bongiorno asked, 
Bongiorno asked, the back of the strap of the bra had multiple traces of DNA belonging to Guidi. So not only was the strap of C- uh, the bra clasp of Celestino, his DNA was on it. There was also multiple traces of DNA belonging to the original guy that, oh, by the way, Amanda Knox wholeheartedly, 100% believes, feels, and and is unwavered at the fact that Guidi was the one who murdered Kircher. There, she, in her mind, there is no doubt no one else could have done it but him. You know, and I kind of, uh, I'm at this point, I'm agreeing with with Knox for the fact that there are so many things pointing towards Guidi being the only suspect in this murder. I mean, remember there was his handprint on a on a on a blanket that was under the body of Kircher, but they're still going to blame Amanda Knox, saying that that uh, Guidi had to have had an accomplice. I, just, it, 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 I mean, there's a lot of things that just don't add up to me right now. You have one little, like I said, getting getting your DNA on a on a bra clasp isn't unusual when you're dating a woman who lives in a house of women. It's not it's not far fetched. According to the prosecution's reconstruction, Knox had attacked Kircher in her bedroom, repeatedly banged her head against a wall, forcefully held her face, and tried to strangle her. So if that if that was the case, then there would have been DNA left and right all over Kircher, no matter what. A lot of times when you're getting the shit beat out of you, I don't think you're just going to lie still and just let it happen. You're going to claw, fight, grab, pull, and do whatever needs to be done. If Amanda Knox had attacked Kircher and repeatedly banged her head against a wall, I, I would think that there would be a lot more traces of DNA from Knox than the zero that they found other than a knife that was, that was shared by, by all the roommates. But we're supposed to sit here and believe that Knox was the lone aggressor and, and murderer in this instance. It just, again, it's hard for me to understand how the Italian police came to this verdict or came to this assumption or to this, to this end. Let's continue. Guidi, Knox, and Solicito had removed Kircher's jeans and held her on her hands and knees while Guidi had sexually abused her. Knox had cut Kircher with a knife before inflicting the fatal stab wound, then faked a burglary. The judge, point, the judge pointedly questioned Knox about a number of details, especially concerning her phone calls to her mother and Romanelli. You, that would take some severely bizarre twisted individuals to for for Knox to hold down Kircher on all fours that would take some goddamn talent for Knox to hold her down on all fours and allow Guidi to sexually abuse her it just doesn't it it, it doesn't seem realistic I mean, in the report, it uh, reports from the Italian police, it says that Kircher removed her, uh, all three removed her jeans. And all three of them, or Kircher and, and Solicito, okay, well, that makes sense. But uh, Knox and Solicito held Kircher down while Guidi had sexually abused her. Knox had cut Kircher with a knife before inflicting the fatal stab wound. And then they all faked the burglary. Again, with that being said, there would be a lot more DNA left over from from uh, Solicito and Knox and not just a little DNA print on a bra clasp 
or whatever fingerprints or DNA that was left over from a knife that is a common use, a, a knife that is common, a common use ut- a knife or utensil for a house or a flat that is shared by, by multiple people. I, I think, I mean, the Italian police are reaching and it, it doesn't make any sense. The defense suggested that Guid was a lone killer who had murdered Kircher after breaking in. Knox's lawyer pointed out that no shoe prints, clo- no shoe prints, clothing fibers, hairs, fingerprints, skin cells, or DNA of Knox's were found on Kircher's body, clothes, handbag, or anywhere else in Kircher's room. Now, I don't know how things, again, I don't know how things roll around in, in Italy, but here in the States, if there are no signs of DNA matching the alleged suspect or the accused, then all accusations and all charges will be dropped since there is no evidence showing that the individual was involved in, in, in the crime. And in this case, Knox's lawyer pointed out, yo, there are no shoe prints, no clothing fibers, not even hairs or fingerprints, not even skin cells found on Kircher's bodies, clothes, handbags, or anywhere else in Kircher's bedroom. However, the Italian police and judge decided that, yeah, that is not relevant and we're going to continue with prosecution. That just doesn't make any sense how they continued with the prosecution, although there were no DNA evidence showing that Knox was even in the fucking bedroom. The prosecution alleged that all forensic traces in the room that would have incriminated Knox had been wiped away by her and Solicito. Knox's lawyer said it would have been impossible to selectively remove her traces and emphasize that Guidi's shoe shoe prints, fingerprints, and DNA were found in Kircher's bedroom. Now, for those of you who have ever wiped anything down in your entire life, if someone would have attempted to wipe anything down, think not only would they have wiped down their own evidence, they would have wiped off every single evidence that, that led to anybody else alongside. There's, it is virtually and damn near not damn near, but physically impossible to only wipe out a certain person's DNA prints from the crime scene. That's not realistic. That's not something that is possible for the fact that skin cells fall, hair samples fall, fingerprints, everything, every single thing that you can do. There's even foot indentions, skid marks. There's something left over from every single person that that you ever touch. I mean, spit. You have. I mean, it, it is it is impossible. It is literally literally impossible to wipe away your own DNA evidence and leave someone else's. That that's not realistic. Just based on that, the trial should have been thrown out. Just just based off that alone, that should never have been. This just should have never continued. I mean, think about it. The prosecution alleged that all forensic traces in the room that would have incriminated Knox had been wiped away by her and Solicito. Give me a fucking break. That right there should have been thrown out. The judge should have looked at the prosecutor and said, really? Really, you're serious? You're serious right now? This lady magically wiped away every bit and trace of her DNA? Are you serious? That If I were the judge, I would have thrown it out right away. However, the defense for, for Knox... Said 
and emphasized that Guidi's shoe prints, fingerprints, and DNA were found in Kircher's bedroom, but no one else's were found. However, Knox and Solicito were still considered guilty conspirators in the murder case. Get the fuck out of here. Guidi's DNA was on the strap of Kircher's bra, which had been torn off, and his DNA was found on a vaginal swab taken from her body. Guidi's bloody palm print was on a pillow that had been placed under Kircher's hips. Oh, wait, so we have DNA. We have we have uh, DNA on the on the bra strap. We have DNA on a vaginal swab. We even have a bloody handprint that was on a pillow placed under the victim's body. But yet we're still questioning if this was a solo job. But there is no other evidence, mind you, from that there no no other DNA evidence from Knox or Solicito. To have it even placed them in her bedroom. Yet the prosecution is still going on with Knox being one of the guilty parties and conspirators and, and assistance in this murder. Mind you, the DNA was found in her in Kirch's vagina, and there was a palm, a bloody palm print on the pillow that belonged to Guidi. But yet he wasn't the only one to go in there and brutally rape and murder this young woman. Boy, I tell you. Guidi's DNA mixed with Kircher's was on the left sleeve of her bloody sweatshirt and in bloodstains inside her shoulder bag from which 300 euros and credit cards had been stolen. Are you, are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me right now? Guidi's DNA mixed with Kircher's was left on the sleeve of her bloody sweatshirt and in and in blood stains inside her shoulder bag. So Guidi's DNA was on the clothes on the sweatshirt that was hung up that had uh, Kircher's purse from which Guidi left blood stains inside of the purse to remove the 300 euros and credit cards but yet he he didn't act alone. Knox and Knox and and Solicito were both involved, but everything points. Everything is pointing to Guidi being the sole suspect and aggressor who acted alone. He left his DNA all over the fucking room, stole the the three hundred euros and the credit cards, but the the prosecution still doesn't believe that Guidi did it alone. Both sets of defense lawyers requested the judges to order independent reviews of evidence, including DNA and the compatibility of the wounds with the alleged murder weapon. The request was denied. Now, that is shady as shit right there. Why wouldn't you agree to to have review evidence and the compatibility of the wounds with with the alleged murder weapon? If you're so certain and 100% sure that Knox and Solicito were involved, why not say, yeah, okay, fuck it, you know, I'm down, let, let's, let's go ahead and handle it. But no, instead, instead, you're going to, the judge is going to refuse it. It just seems to me that things are getting more and more fishy as, as this case takes, continues. In final pleas to the court, Solicito's lawyer described Knox as, quote, a weak and fragile girl, end quote, who had been duped by police. Knox's lawyer pointed out a text, pointed out, pointed to text message between Knox and Kircher as showing that they had been friends. And the text message proving that they haven't been friends isn't isn't very useful. I mean, there's been there's been several incidents incidences where 
people are friends, but one still kills the other. I mean, look at, just think about the girls out there in, I think it was Minnesota or Milwaukee where Slender Man told them to kill her friend. They, they lured her out into the woods and killed, and killed the little gal. And they were friends. So, I mean, text message showing that they were friends doesn't really prove much. Things changed, fuck people up in the head. So, so now we're getting on the verdict. Now, now let's see if Amanda Knox is going to be set free or is she doomed? On December 5th, 2009, Knox, by then 22, was convicted on charges of faking a break-in, defamation, sexual violence, and murder, and was sentenced to 26 years imprisonment. Although there was no evidence pointing that Knox was involved with the murder, she was still sentenced to 26 years. On the charges of faking a break-in, defamation, sexual violence, and murder. Could you imagine that knowing 100% that you're, that you're innocent, but people are convinced that you're not convince everyone else that you're not being in another country on top of that. And then getting 26 years for a crime you didn't commit. When I first started this case, I didn't know exactly how, how involved Knox was or how involved she wasn't. I just know that shit was kind of shady with this case. But now that I'm reading all the information and and the reports that were given to the judge and given to lawyers and, you know, what have you. One of the main things that makes me believe that she was 100% innocent, or maybe 80% innocent. I don't know, because you you can never be 100% innocent unless you're the individual and you know without a doubt if you were guilty or not. But when there was no evidence pointing or relating or or placing her at the scene of the crime right then and there, there should have been no doubt that she's innocent and would have, and should have been let go. Let's continue. So Lucido was sentenced to 25 years in Italy. Opinion was not generally favorable towards Knox and an Italian jurist remarked, quote, this is the simplest and fairest criminal trial one could possibly think of in terms of evidence End quote. That sounded a little, uh, a little uh, American hateful, right? Just a little American tourist hateful. I mean, this is the simplest and fairest criminal trial one could possibly think of in terms of evidence, but there was no evidence. There was no evidence linking Solicito or Knox to the scene of the crime. They were they had no DNA evidence at all. There was not even a fucking skin cell that that put Knox at the scene of the crime, but yet they still convicted her and and her boyfriend because this is the the clearest or the simplest and fairest of evidence. And I call bullshit on that one. In the United States, the verdict was widely used as miscarriage of justice. American lawyers expressed concern about pretrial publicity and statements excluded from the murder case being allowed for a contemporaneous civil suit, contemporaneous civil suit heard by the same jury. Yeah, that, that shouldn't, the same jury shouldn't be on anything other than that trial. That should have been no go, yo ho. Knox's defense attorneys were seen as, by American standards, passive in the face of the prosecution's use of character assassination. Apparently, the Knox's defense lawyers just didn't try hard enough when they were damaging her. I mean, I mean they were going around calling her a slut, uh, a woman, a man-eater, that all she did was sleep around. They, they, they defamed her and, and just battered and destroyed her fucking image and her reputation. Based off of uh, just based off of post on on the online that she did. I mean, again, her one of her handles was Foxy Noxy, and they blew her up and blasted her for having that, saying that she was a, a slut and and over sexualized and all this other bullshit. 
And because of that, when, when they were kept attacking her character, her lawyers didn't really do much in defense or try to keep her from, or defend that she wasn't anything like that. And again, it doesn't matter if she was. She could have been a prostitute. If, she, if she's never murdered anyone, that doesn't mean that she's going to start murdering people now. Although acknowledging that Knox might have been a person of interest for American police in similar circumstances, journalist Nina Burlow, who had spent nine months in Perugia during the trial while researching a book on the case, said the conviction had not been based on solid proof. And there had been resentment toward the Knox family that amounted to anti-Americanism. You know, whenever you have something, some ill feelings towards someone that, that is involved in something serious, I think everything should be thrown out. You should find tirelessly for for a group that is non-biased. I know that is that is pretty impossible when you're in a foreign country, and we all know how much everybody loves America all around the world. You know, so I mean it, that that's kind of shitty. I mean, she had a double a double whammy against her. She had a passive lawyer, and then on top of that, she had an entire country against her. And then with the, with the media, fuck the media who are defaming and blasting her every chance they get. They made her look even more guilty when she probably more than likely was not guilty. Let's continue. A number of F- experts spoke out against DNA evidence used by the prosecution. According to Consul uh, Gregory Hampakian, Hampakian, the Italian forensic police could not replicate the key result claimed to have successfully identified DNA at levels below those an American laboratory would attempt to analyze and never supplied validation of their methods. They couldn't even get the right results or enough DNA results to identify whose whose DNA it actually was, but they still use that in the court against Knox. Again, all of this shit was completely suspicious. When you have DNA, that needs to be as accurate as possible with with the amount of DNA given. And if there's not enough DNA to test, obviously you're not going to test the DNA because you don't have you do not have enough to test. You can't just say, oh, well, we don't have the, the results. I don't know the method, but it was hers. It, it was definitely hers. And it's kind of bullshit. Knox was indicted in 2010 on charges of defamation against the police for saying she had been struck across her head during the interview in which she incriminated herself. I don't know how that was indicted. I mean, if she was hit in the fucking head, she was hit in the fucking head. In May 2011, Greg, Greg Hampkin, director of the Idaho Innocence Project, a nonprofit investigative organization dedicated to proving the innocence of wrongly convicted people, said forensic results from the crime scene pointed to Guidi as the killer and to his and to his having acted on his own. 100%. I mean, there was no there was no evidence of Knox or Celicito. It was all Guidi who who left every single thing. He left a fucking bloody handprint on one of the pillows. He left blood inside of her purse as he took the 300 euros and the credit cards. There was his DNA inside of Kircher's vagina. But yet Knox was the one who was involved in this shit. Boy, I tell you. Well, the good news is that eventually after several years, I think it was like eight years later, Knox was acquitted and released. How do you ask? Let's find out. A Corte de Assis verdict of guilty is not a definitive conviction. What is in effect, what is in effect a new trial. Court de Assis de, de Apello reviews the case. The appeal or second grade trial began November 10th, November 2010, and was presided over by judges Claudio Pratio, Pratio Hellman, and Massimo Zanetti. 
A court-ordered review of the contested DNA evidence by independent experts noted numerous basic errors in gathering and, and analysis of the evidence and concluded that no evidential trace of Kircher's DNA had been found on the alleged murder weapon, which police had found in Solicito's kitchen. So what that was is that at the beginning, if you remember, I said that there was a knife that they pinned to Knox saying that her, her, her uh, fingerprints and everything was all over the knife that was used to murder Kircher. That was found in the kitchen of Solicito, which was the boyfriend's house. Well, now after investigation and reanalysis of the DNA and everything else, there was no DNA of Kircher belonging that, that was on the knife that belonged to the knife that was the alleged weapon used, which helped convict Knox and Solicito. So that was thrown out. At least they realized, yo, okay, you guys fucked up on that one. So we're going to have to throw that out. The review found the forensic police examination showed evidence of multiple males. DNA fragments on the showed multiple males DNA fragments on the bra clasp, which had been lost on the floor for 47 days. The court appointed expert the point of the po court appointed expert testified the context strongly suggested contamination. On October 3rd, 2011, Knox and Solicito were found not guilty of the murder. Jesus Christ. Could you imagine being locked up in prison for that long to ultimately say, yo, you're not guilty because we fucked up? Allegedly, or according to Knox, allegedly people, the law enforcement and detectives and whoever were involved in the, in, the, in, in the initial investigation of the murder were just walking in and out, not using gloves, contaminating everything, wiping stuff down. There was a bunch of stuff that was not done professionally to where everything was preserved properly. And accurately. So with that, with that being said, and with that knowledge, why would they continue with the murder case, even though everything was contaminated? Multiple males DNA fragments were found on the bra class. So how can they even tie it down to Solicito? In an official statement given giving the grounds for the acquittals, Hellman said Knox had been confused by interviews of obsessive duration. In the language she was still learning and forensic evidence did not support the idea that Knox and Solicito had been present at the murder. So with that, remember when, when Knox was, was berated and kept in, in, interrogated for several days and several hours, they were speaking to her 100% in Italian. They didn't really have an interpreter until later on. They didn't get her an interpreter, interpreter, interpreter until she admitted guilt. But then again, she was confused by the by the speed by the by the speed of the language, the the words used. She was still learning Italian, but yet they that's all they interrogated her in was in solely in Italian. So, with fear mongering, abuse, and threats, of course, I mean, from what I'm what I'm assuming is that she was scared into admitting something she didn't do. And then to top it off, the cherry on top of everything is that there was no forensic evidence that supported the idea that Solicito and Knox were even present at the murder. Meaning that, remember, Knox was supposed to go work at the bar, but her shift got canceled. So she went back to her boyfriend's house to clap cheeks during the time of the murder. During the time frame of the murder, they were clapping cheeks at Solicito's house, her boyfriend's house, and then went to go grab some clothes, I'm assuming, the next day. And that's when everything went down. It was emphasized that Knox's first call raised the alarm and brought the police, which made the prosecution's assertion that she had been trying to delay discovery of the body un untenable. 
Her and Solicito's accounts failing to completely match did not constitute evidence that they had given a false alibi. Again, when you're stressed, confused, and nervous and scared, you don't know what you're saying. You just start mumbling incoherently and things from past, present, and even future start jumbling and just starts coming out of your mouth. So with them not being able to say the same thing, again, confusion and fear just, just doesn't make any sense to me. Discounting Corotolo's testimony as self-contradictory, the judges observed that he was a heroin addict, having noted that there was no evidence of any phone calls or texts between Knox or Solicito and Guidi. The judges concluded there was a material non-existence of evidence to support the guilty verdicts and that an, an association among Solicito, Knox, and Guidi to commit the murder was far from probable. So remember the homeless guy that admitted to seeing all three of them hanging out at a certain place after things went down. Well, finds out that he was a big heroin addict and was just doing things allegedly on the pay scale or in, in, as an informant base for, for the Italian police. Well, they threw that out saying, yo, you're a drug addict. You don't, there's not even text messages supporting what you're saying. There's no messages cooperating or even placing them in cahoots with each other. That's not even... That's not even a possibility. That's far from probable. So it took them how many years to realize, Dan, we, we, we screwed the pooch on this one. We completely jacked it up. Huh. The false, the false accusation conviction in relation to her employer was upheld and Judge Hellman imposed a three-year sentence, although this was nom nominal being less than Knox had already served. She was immediately released and returned to her Seattle home. Now, I can agree with that one. That one, okay, is fine. She was, remember, she said that she, she accused her, her, her boss, which is Lumbub or Lumambe or something. I can't think of the guy's name right now. Said that he was at the scene of the crime because she was so scared she wanted to give him something. So that, I mean, that was false. It could have put him in jail. So being, her being charged for that is completely understandable. That is justified. However, her spending eight years in prison over something she didn't do, yeah, it was time for her to be let go. Cox wrote a letter to, Cor to Corrado Maria Daclon, Secretary General of the Italy-USA Foundation, the day after regaining her freedom. The letter said, To hold my hand and offer support and respect throughout the obstacles and the controversy, there were Italians. There was the Italy-USA Foundation and many others that shared my pain and that helped me survive with hope. I am eternally grateful for their caring hospitality and their courageous commitment. To those that wrote me, that defended me, that stood by me, that prayed for me, I am forever grateful to you. That was their letter written to, by Amanda Knox to the USA Italy Foundation. On March 26, 2013, Italy's highest court, the Supreme Court of Cassation, set aside the acquittals of the Hellman second-level trial on the grounds that it had gone beyond the remit of a corte de assis, de, de appello, by not ordering new DNA test, DNA test and failing to give weight to circumstantial evidence in contents such as Knox's accusation of the bar owner and disputed interviews. So they're still trying to hold shit up, but they, they, dropped, they dropped the ball and didn't re, resubmit or reprove everything to try to keep her charged or keep her in prison. A note Knox composed in the police station, not mentioning Guidi, was regarded by the Supreme Court as confirmation that she and Guidi were present at Via della Pergolia 7 while Kircher was attacked. A retrial was ordered. Knox was presented, but remained was pre represented, but remained in the United States. Allegedly, that note that was written was again by force, uh, by force feared by the Italian police for for Knox to start incriminating people. Judge Nancini presided at the retrial and granted a prosecution request for analysis of previously unexamined DNA sample found on the kitchen knife of Silicitos, 
which the prosecution alleged was the murder weapon based on the forensic police reporting that Kircher's DNA was on it. A conclusion discredited by the court appointed experts at the appeal trial. So they read the, 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 the remember the knife that was allegedly used was put initially. The second was, was uh, that they found no evidence of Kircher's, no DNA of Kircher's on there. Now they're trying to throw it back in there saying, yo, this, there really was, but it was already thrown out. So you can't, you can't reuse it once that was in there. When the unexamined sample was tested, t- <laughs> when the unexamined sample was tested, no DNA belonging to Kircher was found. On January 30th, 2014, Knox and Salicito were found guilty. They were found guilty over a knife that had no DNA of Kircher, although they still were blamed and accused for it. Oh, I tell you. In their written explanation, the judges emphasized Guidi's fast-track verdict report was a judicial reference point establishing that he had not acted alone. So Guidi is going to save his skin. And if he can get less time and bring as many people down, I mean, why not? Why not do that shit? The Nancini verdict report said there must have been a cleanup to remove traces of Knox from the building while leaving Guidi's. The report said that there had been no burglary and no signs of one were staged. It did not consider the possibility of Guidi's having been responsible for faking a break-in. So they're not even, they're not even faking that break-in. There was no break-in though. The door was locked. He left and they were trying to break the door open to try to get to, to the Kurt, to Kircher. I mean, what else do you need? Although no part of the defense's team of experts an authority of experts and authority on forensic use of DNA, Professor Pete Gill publicly said that the case against Knox and Solicito was misconceived because they had a legitimate excuse for the DNA being present on Solicito's kitchen knife and in the crime scene apartment. Well, they used the knife. What boy, I tell you. According to Gill, the DNA, the DNA fragment from Solicito on the bra clasp could have gotten there through Solicito having touched the handle of Kircher's door while trying to force it, enabling transfer of his DNA to the bra clasp inside the bedroom on the latex gloves used by investigators. Well, yeah, that could have been too. I mean, there, there's just so many ways and possibilities that the bra could have had his, his, his DNA on it. So we're finally free. After years and years and years, Knox is finally free. So on March 27, 2015, the ultimate appeal by Knox and Solicito was heard by Supreme Court of Cassation. It ruled that the case was without foundation, thereby definitively acquitting them of murder. Her defamation conviction was upheld, but the three-year sentence was deemed served by the time she had already spent in prison. So they finally deemed her innocent. And there's no murder trial held over her head regarding that she was even guilty for this shit. Rather than merely declaring that there were errors in the earlier court cases or that there was not enough evidence to convict, the court ruled that Knox and Solicito were innocent of involvement in the murder. Damn. They couldn't even, the Italians couldn't even say, yo, my bad. I am so sorry. We, we, we fucked everything up. So instead, we're just going to say that they were innocent of the involvement of murder. Instead of saying, yo, we, we completely screwed the pooch. We are sorry. Nope, not even that. On September 7, 2015, the court published a report on the acquittal citing glaring errors, investigative amnesia, and guilty omissions, where a five-judge panel said the prosecutors who won the original murder conviction failed to prove a whole truth to back up the scenario that Knox and Solicito killed Kircher. In my opinion, the juries, the jurors who served on that case should be investigated as well for, for racism, I mean, and, and hatred. There was not enough evidence. Clearly, all the evidence that I read you was the evidence presented in the court case. There was not enough evidence to convince Knox and Silicito, but yet the jurors said, oh, this was easy, fair, and clear evidence. Bullshit. Get the fuck out of here. 
They also stated that there were sensational failures, clamorous defaliance in the investigation, and that the lower court had been guilty of culpable admissions in ignoring expert testimony that demonstrated contamination of evidence. So when you're found guilty that you fucked everything up, but you still can't admit it, but you said you you ruined this lady's, these two people, these two individuals' lives just because of whatever reason that you have. The f- bullshit, man. On January 24, 2019, the, Euro- the, Euro- the European Court of Human Rights ordered Italy to pay compensation to Knox for violating her rights in the hours after her arrest in Perjua. Italy was ordered to pay Knox 18,400 euros, which is only about 20,800 American, for not providing her with either a lawyer or a competent interpreter when she was first held in custody. A competent interpreter. So someone off the streets or someone just say, hey, can you, do you speak English? Yes, yes, I do. All right, I need you to come interpret, interpretate. Okay. Yes, yes, I do. And then they fucked everything up. Let's wrap this episode up. Graveyard Grumbler's final wrap. In late 2007, the eyes of the world were drawn to the Italian city of Perjua for the gruesome murder of a foreign exchange student and twisted tales of sex games gone wrong that emerged from the picturesque facade of steep mountain streets and centuries-old buildings. So allegedly, it was a four-way, an orgy that went completely wrong. Knox lost control, murdered her, and the individual was raped. That, that was what was being fed by the fucking media. It, it's ridiculous, if you ask me. Meredith Kircher, a 21-year-old from Surrey, England, had been sexually assaulted and stabbed to death with her 20-year-old American roommate, Amanda Knox, and Knox's boyfriend, Raffaele Solicito, emerging as primary suspects. Eventually, Guidi was, 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 her boyfriend, Guidi, was the one who was guilty. I mean, his fucking hand, bloody handprints were, his DNA was all over the room and all over her. What makes you think that he wasn't the one to do it? I mean, it, the, whole, the whole handling of the case was completely ridiculous and unprofessional. Although all conclusive physical evidence pointed elsewhere, Italian prosecutors focused on the alleged wrongdoings of the University of Washington students who MySpace nickname of Foxy Noxy spawned countless stories of her being a promiscuous man-eater. Again, who gives a fuck if she slept with 3,477 men? It doesn't matter. The, the, all that should matter is the evidence that's, pre, that's presented in front of you. And if you don't have enough to prosecute, then you don't have enough to prosecute. Get fucked. Knox and Solicito were eventually acquitted, but only after they were twice convicted and spent years in jail over a nightmare of a case that, con- that covered the better part of a decade, decade and failed to satisfy the families of both accused and the victim. Fortunately, these two individuals lost about eight years of their life being wrongfully accused and found and wrongfully convicted. I mean, Amanda Knox, I don't know if she did it. People say that she still did it just by her bizarre behavior. And a lot of people say she had nothing to do with it. I don't know. I'm not the professional in this. I'm not a professional mind reader, body expert. All I know is the evidence that was presented isn't enough to convict. Regardless of, of if, if Amanda Knox really did clean up everything and really did make everything super spick and span, eh, no. I mean, it, that, that's not realistic. You have to have a team of professionals that still fuck up because that's just, it's just not possible with, with the amount of DNA that our body releases. You know, if you, if you want to know more about her, just, I mean, there's a bunch of documentaries about her. There's, again, I don't know for those of you who enjoy the Joe Rogan podcast, but she was on the Joe Rogan podcast and they actually went on quite a while about what was going on, the wrongdoings. And it was, I mean, it it was a, it, it was a pretty cool episode. However, it's one of those things that 
it was a shitty incident. A lot of things that happened that shouldn't have happened. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she's happy that that shit is all over. But just be, just let it be known. I mean, if you have, if you have anything going on in another country, don't kill anybody because goddamn, it's not, it's probably not going to go well for you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I am 100% joking. I'm, I, I, it was a poor joke. I, don't, don't listen to what I say. So to wrap it up, the whole thing was bad. I mean, it, it, it was bad that, you know, it, my condolences to the family for the murder of this individual, of Miss Kircher. But it was also the, the fucked up, most ridiculous things that happened with, with, with the handling of the investigation on the Italian police's part. I mean, it shouldn't have happened. It should have been held a lot better. There should have been a more thorough way of doing everything. So... So we're going to end it there. Yesterday, I, I always forget to drop stuff in there, but the, the audio clip that I put in there came from the shadiest things about Amanda Knox. The shadiest things about Amanda Knox revealed, which came from the YouTube channel, Nikki Swift. That's N-I-C-K-I Swift. If you're curious about her channel, go check it out. I, I just pulled it up on YouTube, Nikki Swift. So everybody... Thank you very much for your attention, your your response, and your your interest in my podcast and in this in this episode. I have no new announcements other than the Patreon is going to be in the bio. If you're interested, I release some episodes on. I release a bunch of shit on there now. I mean, there there's a each month that goes by, I'm releasing anywhere from three to five. I think last I think last month I did four. Eventually, I'm going to keep it around four or five release pro- projects released on the Patreon. Some of it I realized that have been a little too gruesome to leave on my regular podcast since I don't know the age demographics that I have. So I I kind of leave that out in in the in the in the outside of the outskirts to make sure that that the you know I don't get any any angry hate or, or fuck some little kids head up because they they heard a real gruesome episode of my podcast. So if you're interested in in more more graveyard grumbler projects that I won't release on on regular pod. Check out my Patreon. I have one tier. It's five dollars a month, and you get you get anywhere from a minimum of going on three now release projects to a maximum of five. So, other than that, I appreciate everyone. Thank you very very much for listening. Please share my podcast, rate and comment on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. It helps boost my my my. Uh, my not my views, but my my numbers on the pod, and I want to I want to make it to, to at least the top 100 in in America for podcasts. So I want to think. Oh, and I was special, super super special, amazing shout out to to a longtime listener, Sarah from Toronto. She tagged me in this amazing post that was on Instagram that said, if podcasts can get stars of fame or if they can get a star who would be one of the podcasters that you would give a star to and sarah tagged me in that saying that i mean i'm guessing that my show was good enough to receive a podcast star of fame and i want to thank you very very much for that that was very sweet it made me smile made my heart tingle it made me want to keep pushing even harder to bring out better content better audio better quality and honestly try to be better than everybody else that's out there I mean, I, I'm, I'm hopefully I've already succeeded over a couple. And Sarah from Toronto, you know who I'm, who I'm, I'm, I'm uh, referring to. Hopefully, I've dominated and, and crushed that guy. But 
overall, I want to be better than every podcaster out there. I know I have a lot of work to do. And with your help, I know I'll be there. So again, Sarah from Toronto, thank you very, very much. That was very amazing, very special. And I deeply, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for tagging me in that and thinking of me as, as, a, as a great, as a podcaster who deserves a podcast star of fame. Other than that, everybody, I appreciate everything. And as always, good morning, good day, good night, goodbye. This is their theory, that you went in there for some kind of freaky sexual activity that went wrong and your roommate wound up dying. Fair? That's what they say. That's what it is. Forget the headlines. That's the truth of the proposition, isn't it? Is there truth to that proposition? Were you into deviant sex? Insensitive question, but hey, we got to get to what it is. This fuels the doubt. Were you into that kind of experimentation? No. Did Meredith suspect you were into these types of things and created a barrier between the two of you? No. And therefore you resented her? No. Because she was judging you? None of that? No. Absolutely not. And there's, there's no evidence. There's no evidence of that. But that's the theory. Knox is into some freaky sexual things. She tried to pull in Meredith, who was a staid, buttoned-up Brit. She wasn't into it, and it went wrong. That's their theory. That was in the discussion of the judges. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. And they... I was there in the courtroom when they were calling me things like violent and whore and deviant, and it's all untrue. And Where are that's... they getting it from? Did you have any type of experimental activities there you're embarrassed to talk about? No. That they know about? Well, in the book, I talk about all of my sexual experiences, and I haven't needed to talk about the, the details of that because they aren't deviant. I was not strapping on leather and bearing a whip. I've never done that. I've no never, group activities. I've never taken part in an orgy, ever. And, and your roommates <laughs> wouldn't have told prosecutors this. Could they have gotten this idea from somewhere else? Maybe you're not telling the truth, they heard it from somewhere else. Maybe you are telling the truth, and they heard it from somewhere else. I mean, no one has ever claimed that I was ever taking part in, in deviant sexual activity. Um, none of my roommates, none of my friends, none of the people who knew me there. That is simply coming out of the prosecution. No witnesses have ever come out saying anything like that. And the reason why they continue to perpetuate this idea is because they had this idea about me. They created this idea about me because it would legitimize their, their accusations against me. I would be the type of person, a deviant, who would do this. And yet, this is them projecting their own idea about the kind of person who would be capable of doing what happened to Meredith on me. And they had they nothing. It? They Where had nothing they to sustain it. They didn't get it from me. They didn't get it from me, and they didn't get it from witnesses. It literally came from the prosecution. And this is what I've been up against this entire time. This fact that the prosecution was projecting onto what happened, their own theories about, about young women and, and, and women who are... I was sexually active. I was not sexually deviant. This is the end, this is the end, this is the end. Beautiful friend. Graveyard Grumbler Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Struggle Snuggles Ball Pythons. Struggle Snuggle is a small hobbyist breeder who wants to share the joy of ball pythons with new and experienced snake enthusiasts. 
Struggle Snuggle offers different types of morphs and standard non-morph pythons. Struggle Snuggle will offer insight on the first-time python owners and is available via email for questions on the continuation for healthy care of your new python. You can reach Struggle Snuggle through his Instagram at strugglesnuggle32257. That's strugglesnuggle32257. So you can get a look at the different type of snakes that he does own. Again, Struggles Snuggle 32257. His Instagram handle will be in the show notes.